This pre-intro message is for all of you out there who have been thinking to yourself, I'm going to support Podular Modcast on Patreon. And then life happens. I get it. You're listening in your car in the morning. You're listening at work. You're out on a jog or something. You're not in a position to do it, but you hear it and you're like, oh yeah, I got to do that. But then you get home and you make dinner and you start patching or you play video games or you take care of your kid or you walk your dog, whatever it is. I understand that supporting PodMod on Patreon is not the highest priority. It shouldn't be. If it is, then thank you, but it shouldn't be. Um, but this is just a little reminder. This is what I want you to do. If you're listening right now and you're, and this, and you're the person I'm talking about, I know I've been meaning to do that. I want you to tap your index fingers together. Boom, boom, boom. Just, just tap them together and say, I'm going to support PodMod on Patreon tonight. And that'll be some weird thing that you did that'll stick in your brain to remind you later. And to everybody who has helped me out so far, thank you very, very much. This week's episode is brought to you by Afterlater Audio. They've currently just released their heritage line, which consists of the Bosk Oscillator, the Envy Envelope Generator, and the Filthy Filter. The Bosk is a triangle core oscillator that is based on the same CEM3340 chipset used in legendary synths such as the SH101, Provit 5, and Memory Moog. It also has a little toggle switch to go from VCO mode to LFO mode, which I really love. Um, and then the Envy is the ADSR style envelope generator based on the CEM3310 chipset. This is a standard envelope generator. However, what is not standard, what I love about it the most, is it has two... Uh, uh, delayed triggers for an end of attack and end of rise, which is very, very useful. And then the filthy is the multi-mode filter offering a low pass, band pass, high pass, and notch all simultaneously with four outputs. Cutoff and resonance are both controllable via knobs and via CV inputs with attenuators. So that is pretty cool. All of these are 6 HP and very affordable to boot. Everything you hear behind me is being controlled by uh, not just the three modules that I mentioned, but a couple others that will be released very soon on the Heritage line. Uh, the Oscillator is the chainsaw from Acid Rain Technology, and I've got the stereo outputs going into two different filters, being controlled by all sorts of different crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy what you're hearing. It's a fun little ditty, so please go check out AfterLaterAudio.com, and a little shout out to uh, Acid Rain Technology as well. Gotta love the, uh, the chainsaw, right? back to another episode of Podular Modcast. I am Tim Held, and the year is 2020. January 2020. It's kind of crazy. Is it that crazy? What is time? Uh, I don't know. But uh, Tom Whitwell probably has a better grasp of it than I do. You all know who Tom Whitwell is, because we all know what a Turing machine is. Uh, music thing modular? Ring any bells? Of course it does. Uh, I've been so excited to share this episode with you. We talked um, halfway through December, and then, you know, the holidays happened, so it's it's finally here. I'm very excited. And uh, Tom was somebody that was on the list at the outset of this podcast becoming a thing. He's He was kind of a dream guest. And um, one of the guests that I was kind of uh, intimidated by, I don't know, what, uh, just some people, they... 
they intimidate me with their intelligence, but he couldn't have been nicer. We had a great chat. Uh, and so, yeah, thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, what else is going on? I'm still really loving my new microphone. It's, uh, and we only have a couple more episodes, hopefully a couple more episodes, uh, where the intro won't sound better than the rest of the podcast. Um, and the reason I say hopefully is I did something really stupid. Uh, you know, outset of holidays was, you know, right at the beginning of the holidays. Um, and I had, I had chatted. I don't usually like to reveal, reveal future guests. I like them to be a surprise, but I had a great chat with Ban Hafar and she sent me over her files. The way I do it is I have the guests record themselves. So it sounds like we're in the same room and then they send me the files and I make it happen. And I hit download and then I didn't pay attention to anything after that. And something happened with my internet and it was a Wii transfer thing. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't download the files and they're not there anymore because we transfer deletes them after a few days. And so I got a hold of Anna and asked if she still has them. And she said she will check when she gets home. So as of right now, I don't know. And Banna, if you're listening uh, and they're gone, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, it's so embarrassing. That hasn't, that hasn't happened yet. Um, and it makes me realize that I need to, uh, I need to take some precautions and have some fail safes and, and firewalls or I don't know what, what the terms are, but I've already rambled too much. Um, not a whole lot to talk about cause I'm recording this intro pretty close to the last intro I recorded so I could get this episode done. Do you guys really want to peek behind that curtain? It doesn't matter. Um, I am reading a book right now. I'm reading a novel, which I usually only read uh, nonfiction. Um, but I'm reading a novel called 1Q84 by uh, Haruki uh, Murakami, and it's really good. I'm almost 300 pages into it, and it's like a 1,200-page book. But I just thought I'd share that in case somebody out there is looking for something to read. Um, what else is going on? I've got so many new modules, uh, and I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with them. The After Later stuff, you heard a little ditty at the beginning. Um, I've also got the Oct from, uh, from Instro and DivKid. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, in fact, there's a video on YouTube right now that I uploaded where it's uh, just kind of an ambient patch, just a, a shot of my beautiful Needham Woodworks case kind of droning on this patch. And every single source of modulation, every single thing giving the patch movement is coming from the Oct. It's like a nine minute, just kind of slowly evolving, nice thing. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. I'm, I'm, I got new lights and I got this new microphone and I've got this beautiful new Needham Woodworks case so I'm hoping I'll, you know, be stepping it up in the video uh, arena pretty soon. Um, speaking of Needham Woodworks, go to needhamwoodworks.com to learn more about these lovely, lovely cases. They're pieces of furniture. It's the nicest thing in my house. <laughs> um, it's the nicest thing I've ever personally owned. Um, and... If you're not in the market for a big case, check out the sister company of Needham Woodworks, Eschatonic Modular. If you're trying to do a DIY case, I've seen, actually been noticing a lot of people out there building their own cases or, you know, their own travel cases. Well, you need power for that. And uh, Eschatonic Modular is the place to go. E-S-K-A-T-O-N-I-C Modular. Um, so I was rearranging the case the other day because I had to take every, a bunch of stuff out to put, all, put in all this new after later stuff. And uh, realized I don't have enough screws to put everything in. So I've got some blanks in my case right now that are being held up by one screw and some are being pinched together by other blanks surrounding them. So I've got some gnarly 
Nerly's on the way, Nerly-esque type things on the way. Um, what am I trying to say to you? Oh yeah, when I took everything out um, and powered on my case, you know, as I loaded modules in one by one, turning them on, making sure they all work, I noticed that the logo for Eschatonic Modular is like this cool little skull, and in the eye of some of the skulls is a red LED. So I thought that was pretty cool. Nice work, Eric. Oh yeah, another thing is there's no patch challenge. Uh, Tom wasn't set up to do a patch challenge, but because it's January, uh, what if we do, uh, like what if I give you guys, you patch challenges for the week, and uh, and then, then post them on Instagram or something. Hashtag podmod patch challenge, hashtag January. I don't know. Is that a fun way to interact with each other? I feel so fucking cheesy being like, use this hashtag, but that's the world we live in. So in honor of the book that I'm reading right now, 1Q84, uh, I give you Air Chrysalis as your January patch challenge. Um, also, I want to give a heads up. At the end of this episode, I uh, I have a little, I don't know, just a little, uh, I do a little monologue, basically, on, we haven't talked about depression in a while, and I know uh, we've talked about it on the show, and I don't know, it just seems like a an appropriate time to maybe reach out to anybody who's who's feeling that way i've i've been feeling that way lately it's a dark time i hope i'm hoping for light to come out in the uh, in the universe soon um but yeah if you're not interested in all the depressive stuff i put it at the very end of the episode sorry to do that to you tom <laughs> um, to put that on your episode but uh but yeah anybody who is interested um and who you know it's feeling kind of rough right now. I encourage you to listen to it at the end of the episode. Um, and then one more thing before we get into this, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Patchworks, our lovely synth shop here in Seattle. Um, there are copies of my new album, Music to Come Down To, on cassette there. I think there are only four. That's how many I dropped off. I don't know how many are left. Um, but if you don't want that and you just want some synthesizers, go into Patchworks or go to their online store, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com to learn more about that um and if you are interested in my album i would love for you to uh support the, the record label flag day recordings that uh, was kind enough to make that release happen so if you go to flagdayrecordings.bandcamp.com you can uh, you can hear you can hear that album okay let's get into this chat with tom whitwell well i i really appreciate uh having you take the time to speak with us tonight um we've, i feel like we've been trying to do this for a while yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah i think doing the whole thing across the the atlantic and the time difference is kind of rough so, yes uh thanks for staying up tonight to do this that's okay um it's funny to be uh chatting with you on the video here and and seeing the um the shop in the background because just to make sure i wasn't covering the same ground that you and alex did i just watched the the one that you guys did, which is funny because it was probably around exactly a year ago because you were talking a lot about going into 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, but let's let's get started with uh, kind of some background. There wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of background on that one. Um, so let's just get to know. Let's get to know Tom a little bit. Where did you grow up? So, yeah, I grew up in in Bristol, which is a city in, in the U.K., uh, in the West Country, um, and trained as a journalist. So I did a politics degree, went to university, did uh, journalism, kind of postgraduate thing, and then went into magazines. So I was a magazine editor 
for quite a long time during the sort of late 90s into the 2000s. I was the editor of Mix Mag, which is a kind of dance music magazine, uh, deputy editor of The Face, which is kind of style fashion magazine from, from the 80s, really. Uh, and then I uh, then went and worked for The Times, The Times of London, as, as Americans call it. We just call it The Times. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and kind of ran digital there. So I was head of digital there. Um, and now sort of left there in about 2014 or something. Uh, now work as a uh, innovation consultant. So I work for a company where I go out and work for lots of different big companies, helping them try new things, helping them experiment, helping them develop develop new products, really. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Is that... Um, is that- now on the uh, that chat with Alex, you were talking about um, doing stuff for the fashion industry at that point. Yeah, was that just yeah? One that of the was people, one of the one of the many clients. One of the clients there. So we worked for for Vogue magazine last year. Um, this year, I was working for a company doing kind of sustainable cotton, that kind of thing. Uh, but it's really, really varied. So, so that that is the day job, and the day job is. One week it'll be, you know, the moment I'm working for the Economist um, magazine newspaper. Uh, we're working for the National Grid, working for insurance companies. It's kind of different every every two months. I'm working for somebody different. Okay, so are you kind of a freelance, or do you work for a company that sets you up with these? People no, I work for just hire you? I work for this company called Flux, which is a company that that does this. There's about. 45 of us um, and yeah it's a really nice interesting day job to have uh, yeah it sounds like it switches up enough to be yeah, fresh yeah exactly it's, it's exactly that. having having worked in big companies for a long time it was really it's really interesting to then go and just have the variety so you have that change all the time Nice. And so is uh, music thing modular just something that you do in the shop? Yeah. On weekends or at night? Or? So, so I mean, it's interesting. This, so I've been doing this since about... Um, I mean, I've been doing electronics sort of in different ways, you know, for about 10 years now. So 2009, I was probably looking at uh, kind of Arduino, those kind of things, you know, these kind of mm-hmm. you know, sort of microcontroller stuff and making sort of guitar pedals, you know, which is such a kind of a relatively simple thing to be doing for, for you know, and it's a very good way of getting into that kind of DIY electronics. And then uh, about 2011 probably, uh, went to an event in London that was a a kind of Euro rack showcase. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever seen that, you know, I'd ever seen one sort of in the flesh, really. Um, uh-huh. And uh, and at that same time, actually, uh, Schneidersladen in, in Berlin had a showroom in London that you could go into and, and kind of see a, see a setup and use that. Um, so kind of got into it, you know, through that, um, and I remember actually last last week it was CV Freaks, which is the kind of London modular meet, uh, and uh, Andre from ADAC Systems was there, and I re- really kind of clearly remember seeing, 
his stuff at that event and he had his thing where you could plug like a Wii nunchuck controller into a modular and I think he had his kind of marble physics module there and just thinking this is an amazing this is very different from from anything else I've seen um, mm -hmm. so so I kind of got into it there and then started using the the sort of electronics I'd learned from making kind of pedals and stuff to trying to design things that would fit into the into the modular and it, it, you know it is a it is a good kind of infrastructure to work in because you've got the kind of bipolar power you've got you know a simple structure where if you can strap stuff onto a faceplate then you can you can make it work um and then it was around so i designed a few like little bits and pieces and would share things um but i'd never done anything on a pcb never done anything that was kind of reproducible um and about i think it was 2012 uh, designed uh, the Turing machine, which is a, a kind of random looping sequencer. Um, and my idea at the time was that I would would share. It was it was the time when Chinese manufacturing was becoming much more accessible, so you could start to um, design, you know, a circuit. You could send the circuit to China, and they would send you five circuit boards for for very little money. You could then send the bill of materials to someone like Mauser in Texas and they would send you the parts. You could then, I was using laser cut panels at the time, you could send the, you know, the panel designed to your local laser cutter. And my idea was that this would be a kind of um, distributed local kind of manufacturing. And I wasn't particularly interested in the idea of doing actual sort of mass production manufacturing. So this was my idea for how to share it. And I made the design um, sort of open source so that people could do that and they could pick it up and do what they wanted with it and modify it and, and learn from it. And within about uh, literally sort of four or five hours after I posted those, those plans <laughs> on, on Muffs, uh, Steve Grimley, Stephen Grimley-Taylor, who now runs Thonk, said... Oh, uh, why don't I do a kind of group buy for this? So we can make a kit, or we can make you know panels and boards for people, um, and that essentially is what led to to Thonk. Um, you know, that was one of the first things he did. That he then you know gradually over time became more and more of a real a real business. Um, okay, that answers my question. Like I I had I'd always kind of wondered like how. Is 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 Thonk Tom Whitwell and I, is the difference music? I mean, I I knew you were in. I didn't know like how close that connection yeah, so was. Then you guys were intertwined. Yeah, so we we uh, you know set that up together. You know, we Thonk is entirely independent of me. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. kind of financially, um, but you know, I get paid royalties when he he produces my kits, and we work very well together. I always like you know Steve has described. Steve used to run record labels and used to design video games and things in the past and he he just we sort of talk about thonk as being like a record label for hardware so uh -huh. he's yeah. he's very much like my label boss and i will i will make something and i will send it to him and he'll be like great let's make 250 of these and i'll say you know this one's a bit it's a bit odd, this one. I'm not sure you really want to make, you know, maybe make 125 and see what happens. Uh, and he will look at something and say, 
yeah, I like that, but maybe maybe there's another way of doing it or maybe there's something else we can do. Um, so, you know, I really, really enjoy working with him on that. And I really, I've been very, very lucky in that Thonk is a really, really good organization. has great customer service. You know, it's very sort of well-regarded, I think, within the community. Um, and had that worked differently, had I kind of hooked up with somebody who turned out to be to be not that, it would have been very difficult and kind of, you know, it would have been a very stressful, unpleasant thing. Uh, so I've been really, really lucky that, that the designs I've, I've come up with, he's been able to take and turn into a, into a business. And that now is a business, obviously with lots of other designers as well, that employs, I think, you know, five or six people in Brighton. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really nice, you know, proper small business. Whereas, so, and they're like the only place you can really get your stuff unless people are buying it and then building it for yeah, other people. Yeah, and, consignment or something. And we do bits and pieces of, of kind of wholesaling kits to other people. But I think he's he's been very focused on just trying to get to the point where he has the kits, you know, regularly in stock. I mean, that was always a, a great frustration for people um, because it is quite it's quite fiddly that business of. You know, I I very much do the easy fun part as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I you know I just send off this digital file and like a bill of materials and I make some prototypes and I I get it to the point where it works, and then he takes on the business of you know the financial risk and the just the kind of thing where I will say can it have this switch on it and it will turn out that switch is out of stock for two months and then you can't get them and and all that stuff so. So he does yeah. very much the the difficult and and fortunately also the bit that does produce more money for you as well you know the, the bit that you can you can charge for um, and I do the the fun part. So um, oh God I, I've got like three different directions I want to go from everything you just said but I see the guitar on the wall in the background and you were doing yeah. guitar pedals. Yeah. Um, but you worked for an electronic music magazine. So were you listening to electronic music and messing around with like, like desktop synths or anything before? Yeah, I had done or? that. I mean, I've, I've always... So the other thing, I suppose, the other thing I missed out was um, music thing started off life as a blog. So in about 2004, I think, 2000, yeah, 2004, when kind of blogging was taking off and becoming a, a thing mm -hmm. that people did... Um, I, I was always interested in music gear and music, you know, the, the stuff you use to make music. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously I was a journalist and so I thought, and, and at the time there was a lot of pretty kind of dry content around music gear. So a lot of it was, you know, it was things like Harmony Central would would kind of print all the press releases from all the companies that had said, you know, we've created a new new mixer and this is it. And then two weeks later, now we've got a different mix that's got 18 channels rather than 16 channels, this kind of thing. Um, and so, and I looked at things like when Gizmodo started and Engadget started and those kind of people, I thought it would be interesting to have something that was about music the way I was interested in music gear. Um, which was, you know, I really enjoy it, but I don't take it tremendously seriously. So I'm not one of these people mm -hmm. who is like, you know, this is the, 
this is the perfect thing you must need to get this amazing tone for your <laughs> your guitar or or any of those things but but at the same time i thought it was amazing the stories behind all this stuff and you know the look of it and the the you know the magic of it and the 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 stories around it and so i was i was kind of convinced by the the kind of uh you know the legend of these things but not taking it seriously enough to think that if i bought a you know fifteen thousand pound les paul and somehow be able to play guitar like somebody famous um so i started that blog yeah about 2004 and that became very successful you know as blogs were in that in that period and i i had had a kind of column in and gadget and it would have you know significant numbers of people reading it um and that was that was really you know fun and interesting and it was it was um it was kind of rewarding for a period uh, and then I got that job at the Times which became very very busy and, and all engaging I was like well I can't really do this properly so stop doing that um, but there were a lot of people who you know I still meet people who are like oh I really remember reading your blog you know that was how I had kind uh-huh. of you know heard of you um, so that was only sort of yeah 2004 to 2007 or 8 or something but that meant I was still very much interested in that world of gear and i think i think you know very much realized that while i kind of enjoy playing music i was definitely more more used to the world either writing about it or designing it than than actually trying to make it um so yeah I, i i certainly used you know all that kind of software stuff when it came about to some extent music thing was a sort of reaction against all of that stuff so 2004 was the by that point you really could do anything you wanted in in software you know you you had right. incredible like stuff available you could add emulations of whatever you wanted um and if you're a professional musician that's probably what you use i mean i've got, I've got a friend who's a who's a successful soundtrack composer and he always looks at myself. He's like, "Yeah, it's all very nice, but it's, you know, when the when the producer rings you up at eleven o'clock on a Friday night and needs an extra ninety seconds, you can't start winding up your euro rack and trying to do that with it. You know, you do it, you do it properly, like a grown up and like a modern person." So I was always very aware that that um, that the way I saw music and the way I saw music gear is absolutely. Um, it's what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's it's a thing. It's anachronistic. It's a thing that you do because it's interesting, rather than because this is some great musical, you know, journey. If I if I could make music, I mm-hmm. would, but I'm I. That's not really the core of my skills, and I I think there shouldn't be any. I don't think there's any need to have any great shame in that, or you know, people shouldn't be embarrassed about that. If you want to have music gear around, you should have music gear around you. If you want, I totally agree. Yeah, if you yeah. want, if you want to have, you know, a wall of of synths, or you want to buy a nineteen seventy four Mini Moog, and you can afford it, then then do that and own it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you know, I'm not terribly convinced when people, you know, suggest that this is some amazing, you know, that it's going to somehow sound better. It can be much more enjoyable to play with. <laughs> Um, but that's a that's a slightly different thing. 
Yeah. I think it's kind of almost the, um, maybe it's the end of the road for those people who are, for us people who are just really into music equipment yeah. and uh, the, the, the culture of the technology. And, you know, I, people say, I have, have had a few people on the show say, remember, this is made for making music because people kind of get into gear fever and trading yeah, fever. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned on the, that episode with, with Mylar, like, uh, you know, when you when you want when you when you when you get an idea for a sound in your head, you don't go buy a new module. No. You try to you well, try to you make kinda, sound you kind of if you want have. to, but it does it does feel like th- that will be quite a frustrating path. You know, I I I, I right. do find it really, you know, it's really enjoyable when you when you have that moment where you, you know, I've always been interested in these kind of very small systems where you where you have like five or six four or five modules and you you're forced to do something interesting with it so you're forced you know i i've for a long time had a had a case that didn't have an oscillator in it um it would have mm-hmm. a, a radio music which is the, the kind of sampler um but a very simple kind of radio style sampler and a filter and so if you wanted sine waves you could get them out of the filter but then you couldn't couldn't do any filtering so i always <laughs> kind of liked that that you know those kind of limitations um mm-hmm. but yeah it does it does it does seem odd when you get people will will appear on the internet and say you know what what module do i need for a techno snare sound you're like well yeah <laughs> you know there's a lot of, I, lot it's of possible amazing answers how often that. i still see yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah like what what module should i buy it's like the yeah. yeah. Um, but I think as it gets in, like more and more companies uh, start making modular, you know, gear and, and more and more people come in, there's just going to be more and more people who haven't heard these conversations and haven't reached this part of their yeah. journey. So those are where people who are annoyed by those questions just need to stop being annoyed by yeah. it. Cause it's, and it is it's that. Never stop. And there is that, <laughs> you know, enormous learning curve that you have at the beginning. And I very clearly remember y- you have that great kind of nervousness when you start what should i get how do i how do i do it and then you Mm. buy this stuff and then three months later you realize that probably wasn't really what you wanted and you you exactly you go around and you know and 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 it obviously is a a shopping hobby you know as much as as much as anything else um you know and there's you're not going to somehow change that or, or fight against it too hard they're almost like trading cards. Yeah. You yeah. know, like we have our little modular group here in Seattle. We all know each other yeah. and we throw, you know, we throw this up. Does anybody want to trade this for that? And, yeah. Um, it's good fun. And then sometimes you get rid of something and you really kick yourself down yes. the road because yeah. you, you had that fever. Yeah. Um, but uh, speaking of like kind of, you know, the learning curve and, and keeping things simple, I, for my you know, journey in the beginning, I had a really hard time with finding a sequencer that I gelled with. And the first, the first one that, um, I felt really spoke to me was the Turing machine. Um, and the album that I just released, uh, last Friday, every melody, but one is from the Turing machine. Yeah. So (laughs) I have to say thanks for that. Um, um, and something that I've talked to a lot of people about, and I'm sure you've heard this said, but it, it's it's random, but it seems like the, it has it has some personality built into it somehow. Yeah. And uh, it, sometimes it's not always on, but sometimes like it seems like some days it, it's almost like this magical melody maker. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm wondering, like, how much, if possible, intent was behind that? I mean, if if you're making a random thing, so um, it is a, you know, it is a, it is a, you know, when I think back, it was a very unusual thing to have as the first thing I, I ever did because it's it's as complicated as anything I've ever ever done since. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's really interesting about it and what I really like about it is that it's um, it's not code. You know, it's not, there's no, there's no programming in it. Um, it's, but it is a digital thing. So, so it's, it's digital pulses and it's these um, essentially kind of logic gates and logic switches that, 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 that make that thing happen. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, partly i suppose the the thing i the thing i remember kind of i'd been experimenting with that stuff for for you know a couple of months on on breadboard and trying to trying to i sort of liked the idea of it and the idea of the way the shift register kind of works um but hadn't quite worked out really an interface that would work so uh, uh-huh. So I was kind of prototyping it partly on a on a breadboard, which is the kind of electron, you know, the the thing you the oh, yeah. one behind there. But you, you, the thing you kind of plug the components in is you you can actually make the real the real circuit. But also using a the old um, Nord modular um, demo software, which is and the Nord modular has many of the things that are on those chips in it. So it has shift registers and inverters and and logic gates. Um, so I'd be kind of prototyping things on that and just trying to get it to do something that was was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And it was often either much too much too deliberate, like you had to really kind of try and program it, or just too random, in which case it was just like throwing a dice and sitting back and, and waiting. Um, mm-hmm. And the idea of the kind of big... the big knob that kind of locks the sequences and then lets them, lets them kind of slip just came literally from sitting kind of prototyping on a breadboard and going, oh, well, I wonder, maybe actually there's a way of, of, of fixing that to do that. Um, so it was really the interface that I was kind of looking for and the way of interacting with it that I was looking for. And I think that idea of um, kind of catching a melody when, when it comes up um, or letting melodies change slowly... One of the other weird things, there's a lot of stuff around the way the way the, the digital bits are turned into into voltages um, means that it does sound very much like itself in some way. So when it's been running for a while, it's it is completely random. But when it's sort of adding bits, when it's when it's got just a few bits in it, you get these ramps of pitch going up. Um, and that does mm-hmm. mean it kind of sounds familiar in a way that if you were literally just outputting random notes from a from a, a proper random number generator, you would have slightly mm-hmm. less of those kind of patterns within it. Um, but I do, you know, I've I've done a lot of stuff with those kinds of random things, and I do I do think. It's fundamentally all about repetition. So I think I think it's that thing of if you, you know, I've experimented with things that are much simpler than the Turing, um, where literally if you are producing random notes, particularly if you're producing random notes that are quantized, so they're in a scale that plays together, mm-hmm. um, 
if you listen to it once, it means nothing. If you listen to it eight times, it means something. If you listen to it 64 times, you've got a tune. <laughs> you know, and if you record it and right, listen to it a yeah, couple of times uh -huh. afterwards, you have a proper tune. Um, and there's a mm -hmm. there's a, a really nice um, Brian Eno story where he goes out and walks around. I kind of know the area he was walking around, around Hyde Park and Hyde Park Corner in, in London with some kind of portable tape recorder. And he records like three minutes of just background, whatever. His mm -hmm. And then he listens to it over and over again. So he learns it and it becomes for him a piece of music. He knows what's happening next. He knows, you know, it, it has, uh -huh. it feels like it has high parts and low parts. It just feels like something that he can, he can understand as music. Um, and so I, I did, when I was experimenting a lot with kind of random, random note generators, I did start to wonder whether all composing is essentially picking random notes and repeating them a lot. <laughs> it, I think that might be why I gelled so well with it, because any other sequencer that I had, I'm not thinking in my head the, the order of notes. No. That's just not how I write music. So I would... I'd, plug in a value and I'd listen to the sequence go through yeah. and then I'd go through and change that until I liked what I heard. Um, so I think that's why, yeah, the, the Turing machine just spoke to me and then I got the volts expander. Yeah. So that would be like my baseline. Which means you can sort of tune it a bit with the volts, can't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So then I could control two different oscillators so I could get yeah. a little bit of a, a melody, but the whole, the whole concept of Turing machine kind of inspired this whole album right. that I just released. And, and my, the, the thing that I wanted to explore is could I find these melodies that I love and not really have much of a change in the melodic structure of the song, but change the timbral things then um, over, you know, a span of a few minutes to keep it still interesting. Yeah. So it's not so repetitive, but I loved, I came to, you know, through mixing and everything came to love these melodies so much yeah. that I'm like, if, if people listen to them enough, I hope they get that same yeah. feeling out of these melodies yeah. that I got. So yeah. yeah, it's 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 really awesome. I think it's the repetition. Um, it's not the electronics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would just let it go. I'd be you know messing around the house. Just I'd, and then when I heard something I liked, I'd run yeah. over and I'd lock it in and listen to it for a while. And if it and if after like five or six minutes, like I could feel it, you know, kind of pulling on my heartstrings, I was like, that's the yeah. one, and I'd, and I'd record real quick. So. Yeah, and, I, and it very um, much the, the, the original kind of intent behind it was exactly, I have this, I've got one of those um, pressure points sequences where you've got mm -hmm. um, three rows of eight. And I just realized all I did was just set them randomly and then listen to it and then change one. And I thought that that just seems <laughs> seems wrong to have this complicated interface. So I was uh -huh. absolutely just looking for what can I do that lets me do that, you know, in an honest way rather than it's, you know, it just feels silly to just be typing it, you know, but if you're just moving the notes randomly, it doesn't seem right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then like the whole reverse thing, like from lock to you know, all the way clockwise, yeah. uh, all the way counterclockwise, that just reverses the order of the note. No. Right? So what that does is it's, uh, it's okay. so that it That's is really confused. complicated this. And, and you know, what it, <laughs> what it does is the way the Turing machine works is it, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of inject any random notes into the, the sequence. The sequence starts with, 
you know, zero, zero, zero. Or actually, when you turn it on, it often ends up as one, 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 but it starts with a sequence. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the sort of, you could, then at the end of the sequence, you can either flip the bit, so you turn a noise into a one, or you keep it the same, so a one is a one. Uh, and if you have the, the knob all the way to the right, it just writes it across, so a one is a one and it, or a zero, zero. If you have it all the other way across, every one becomes a zero, every zero becomes a one. And what that means is if you've got an 8-bit sequence, if you imagine you've got eight ones, it then uh-huh. loops over and becomes eight zeros, and then loops over and becomes eight ones. So it's like a square wave of, of you know, not, 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 oh, one, okay. one, 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 one. Then when it's in the middle is when you get randomness so it will randomly decide is it going to flip it or is it not going to flip it so in in the center where it's completely random every time the note the the step moves on it randomly decides whether to flip it or not flip it so that's how it becomes randomized so the so if i go to sorry no no you go ahead if I go to flip it, so I, I've got my sequence locked in, and I go to and I turn it really quickly. Yeah. Is it just through its time passing through the middle section? Is it going to get some of that random, or do you have to let it sit there for a step? It, for it totally depends on where exactly it is. When okay, it but it, but but the the yeah, if you have it, if you have a sequence doing one thing, and then you flip it quickly across the other side, what it will do is carry on playing that sequence. But if it was a eight note sequence it will play the eight note sequence then it will play it reversed in binary terms so not in terms of the order of okay. notes but reversed uh-huh. in binary terms so if it was a three note sequence and it was one zero one then you flip it to the other side and it'll go one zero one zero one zero one zero one and go on forever like that but as, oh, I, as I always okay. say to people it doesn't doesn't really matter if you don't understand how it works. The way, yeah, right. You know, you understand that you can lock sequences and and that stuff, and you know, it seems to seems to work for people. My favorite moment on my entire record is one of those moments where I turned, you know, all the way right to all the way left, yeah. and I had to actually. It was one of the few moments that I did some um, multi-tracking. Everything else was mostly stereo, but I just kind of added some filter sweepy stuff and some windy sounding yeah. stuff just to kind of make it sound a little bit more um, dramatic. But yeah. I just I love that moment. Um, but you're, you probably talk about the Turing machine way more than you care to talk about the Turing machine. No, no, that's fine, because it, it, it's point. actually the, the <laughs> exercise of trying to explain it to people is really interesting because it is it is quite <laughs> a, a, a baffling kind of you know it is something that is is so it is i think reasonably intuitive to actually use but it is pretty difficult to actually explain what's going on to people Mm -hmm. um i wanted to ask too so when you were on that uh that chat with with mylar from last year you were talking about a clock divider is that did that eventually yeah that is startup yeah so startup was i was wondering about that um was just a really unnecessarily long kind of process so <laughs> i i must have gone to to loop uh, in berlin in maybe 2016 perhaps i think where i was i was on a panel with with emily from mutables and uh and a few other people and i was just going to find the actual somewhere in here i have this okay so that module there which you can see is all kind of purple uh-huh. on the back 
That was because I was going um, with this tiny little case, which is that, you see where it looks like a kind of radio up there. Um, that's uh -huh. a lunchbox, this lunchbox module. And so I had this tiny little case and it was battery powered and I wanted to be able to listen to on headphones because I didn't have a, you know, I have kind of a bigger mixer. So I made this thing, which is completely kind of point to point wired and it's got four inputs and a volume control and a stereo output. Uh, and it was really, really nice to have, you know, it sounded nice. It's got quite mm -hmm. a nice chip on it and the, the, the sort of preset mixing worked really well. So I was like, well, that's great. I should, you know, make some of those because it's useful. And I, I, I enjoyed having it. Um, I then thought, well, what else do I need in that sort of startup module? And I thought, well, it needs a power supply. So I went down this great, tedious sort of rabbit hole of trying to figure out really tiny kind of USB power supplies. Um, I then thought it needs a clock, which it does, particularly if you've got a Turing machine in the same case. Um, yeah. I then thought, well, if I've got a clock, I'm going to want some kind of clock divider because then you can sort of have your pulses going on one and then maybe you can trigger an envelope on the other one and you can have, you know, you can have nice sequences that happen. So designed that, you know, kind of learned. I, I then did a version that had, that I showed at Superbooth, I think maybe the year later, that had like four different waveform output, like LFO shapes on it and this kind of stuff and this tiny little LED and didn't, wasn't very nice. Um, <laughs> I then uh, finally kind of settled on the design as it is now with the kind of two big illuminated buttons at the top, um, which is pretty straightforward, but it just took me a lot of just, you know, having other things to do and just kind of distraction just didn't get out. So, so I ended up not getting it out for kind of, you know, three years after I'd shown it to people. Uh, and this just <laughs> felt really, you know, stupid, like a, you know, not, not the way to do things. Um, but I got that out this year um, and it's, it seems to have had a good reaction. It's, it's interesting the reaction, actually. It seems to be, I slightly wonder if it's the perfect beginner module for people who aren't beginners and understand exactly what you need in a beginner module. <laughs> And if you're an actual beginner, That's... you just don't quite understand it because you don't know enough about about what you need. So I don't think you know they've they've sold. And I think he's he's re re um, doing another another run of them. Uh, but uh -huh. it's it's I don't get the feeling it's been as much of a of a kind of because for me I just I have loads of them. I mean I, some some things I build and I have like one somewhere. I've just got uh -huh. you know five or six of them I just you know make them and have them in all my cases <laughs> and I kind of it feels like this weird luxury sometimes to actually mix channels you know with volume controls you know I'm like oh you're supposed yeah. to you could do it like that if you wanted to uh, I, I really enjoyed that kind of process of of almost mixing locally as well so instead of instead of having a volume control with a kind of knob on it you would just say okay, we need to make the envelope a little bit shorter to make it less intrusive on the mix, or we need to just close the filter mm -hmm. down a little bit. Um, and so I really enjoy that that kind of process of doing it. But I think, yeah, it, it's kind of... I do wonder if, if I literally just did it with, you know, this, but with two more channels, I would have got it out three years ago and it would have been as, as successful <laughs> as the current one, <laughs> the current one is. 
Um, but you know, I like it and and I use it. So that's that's kind of the the basis for for what I do. When I yeah, when it it came out kind of right at the the moment where I was I was uh, wanting to build one for a, a small system for my wife yeah. and one for my friend, um, who. I played music with growing up. Turns out by this point in time, neither of them are that interested in actually yeah. getting into it. Yes. But, um, when I saw that, I was like, this, I, and I thought, this is the perfect thing yeah. for like, if my friend's going to start a system, I'm like, you need this thing right yeah. here. That's like, um, so you, yeah, it's funny that you said that. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's the, it's the module that beginners don't know they need. Yeah. But it <laughs> may be that experienced people can tell. It them. may also be that actually to really enjoy those small cases, you have to be quite, experienced as well you know i wonder yeah, if if i yeah. if i've if got I'd... one first you would just be like this is quite quite difficult or it can just mm-hmm. I, what yeah. i find is when, once you've it's once you've made it do the things that are obvious then you start to have fun with it you know once you once you're then once you get bored with it then it gets uh, then i find it gets much more interesting because it's it's then you're you're off and you're actually playing with something interesting with it but that is obviously yeah. not not a sort of beginner's experience i don't think <laughs> um yeah i just wanted to talk a little bit about the other stuff that you do i know people really like uh radio music and the chord organ which are it's the same thing yeah. the, they're the same, same structure they're the same right? they're the exact same hardware and they are just um yeah you just literally update the firmware on it and it's a uh, it's the same thing so if you've got one you can change it to the other one see if you like it change it back they are they are exactly the same yeah, and having a, um, I had the chord organ for a little bit, and having just the ability to make chord progressions with that small of HP yeah. was was pretty nice. It was very and yeah, very well built. Um, I think there's something. Like, I, where, where, I was going to say, I think there's something in 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 my approach, which is I kind of I assume people aren't going to be deliberate with my stuff, so. <laughs> you know, when people got radio music and they were like, but this isn't great for like one shot drum samples. I'm like, no, it's it's not. I mean, you know, it's fine. It, it can work and you can use it for that and you can do interesting things with it and you can trigger it incredibly fast. You can do like time stretching on it by just re-triggering it very quickly. But it's, I, I always feel like if somebody is trying to do something, you know, if somebody gets a Turing machine and tries to, play their own melodies on it then it will be very difficult if they try and you know um if you buy like the magnetophone which is a tape head one and you think it's going to sound like your nagra it's not it's going to be much much more much much more sort of chaotic and and um you'll have to to want to experiment with it a bit it's like the the um Microphony, the contact mic module, which mm-hmm. which really was almost a joke when I designed it. You know, it's the idea of wouldn't it be in- <laughs> wouldn't it be interesting if you could hear the switches in your case and you could hear your your you know plugging in and out of the modules? That'd be kind of interesting, <laughs> I guess. I guess, uh, and maybe yeah. you could use it with contact mics on other things, and that might be fun. And it wasn't until um, really the kind of mutable, mutable instruments came out with. Um, rings and with i think it was an alternative firmware in in clouds possibly beforehand as well um and started using it to kind of trigger these kind of copper strong um sequences mm-hmm. and i remember just seeing this incredible beautiful video that somebody had made where they were kind of 
strumming the module with a, with like a plectrum and tapping it with a, an eraser on the end of a pencil. And you were just like, this is, this is amazing. You know, this is something that yeah. I, I absolutely did not imagine um, and is, is far beyond the way I would have, I would have imagined it. And, and so many people have done that. And then obviously Emily took it and did um, Ears, which is the kind of grown-up um, musical uh-huh. instruments version. Uh, and so that, that was a really nice experience to have, you know, and also that's just such a sort of cheap and simple module. You know, that's a kind of, it's like 25 or 35 pounds or something that module to buy the kit. It's a yeah. really good sort of first thing for people who want to, want to learn how to make stuff. But that journey of you, you put something out into the world and it gets absolutely picked up and taken on is really pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. Your stuff seems to go really well with something like rings, like the Turing machine, the noise out into the, uh, in, yeah, you know, yeah. the resonator in and just plucking it. And it's like, it's a match made in heaven. Yeah. Um, how about this? I want to talk about the, um, the book, the notebook, yeah. the workshop that's, that just came out recently. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It looks yeah. good. So this actually, what was the inspiration so, for that? So the inspiration for that was, um, well, there was two things. There was um, the the actual inspiration to do it came from my son. So my son is sixteen years old, and he um, has had this kind of hobby he's been into for for a few years, which is around playing cards, collecting, designing. It's called kind of cardistry. It's what a certain amount of sort of teenage boys around the world are into, mm-hmm. um, and he came up with the idea of saying of he's he prints a fanzine for that scene and you know oh, he's cool. he's made you know profitable magazines in his life when he's 16 which i'm not sure i've ever, ever actually worked for a profitable magazine myself <laughs> but um <laughs> so he he then he then came up with the idea of doing a notebook for designing playing cards and he just and did this and finds a printer and prints them and you can you know it's one of the things the way the way with circuit boards you were able to produce circuit boards very very cheaply in very small quantities with printing now digital printing is the same you can produce something that really looks like a professional product and you can do 20 of them or 100 of them and there's you know the price is obviously lower the more you do but it's not like Mm -hmm. you're going to need to print 2,000 of them to to even start so I saw he'd done that, and then the other thing I have, I'll just grab this behind me. Ah. So Make Magazine uh, produced this Maker's Notebook. Uh, and okay. this is literally just a kind of graph paper notebook that has a few sort of data tables at the back of it. So it's got, you know, LED variables and wire gauges and, and how to, you know, how Ohm's law works. And I use these to design all my stuff. So it was, you know, this one's got these kind of, these are the pages from when the Turing machine was being designed. So this is like oh, cool. random sequencer. And like at this point, you can't see it at this point, was before I'd worked out what the interface was. This is all these kind of weird switches. And then there's one there with sliders that never came to life. 
Um, <laughs> then somewhere in here, there is one that is like me going, oh, okay, yeah. So that's the one with the big knob in the middle with loop and double loop. Okay. The first time I kind of figured uh -huh. that out. So I had these um, and Make Magazine is no more. And I thought, is there a way of doing something that would be more tailored to what I do exactly? Mm -hmm. So you've got the data sheets at the back and the front with things like, you know, how transistors work and... MIDI note numbers and the different size panel. The thing I, these are basically all the things that I have stuck on little bits of paper around my desk. So <laughs> things like uh -huh. I can never ever remember the sizes of the holes you need for different things in the panel. So like um, for a Thonkicon socket, it's got to be six millimeters, but for a, for a pot, it's got to be 7.1 millimeters. So those kind of things, I just wanted to have them written down somewhere. And then you've got a uh -huh. bunch of just note, dot note paper, which is um, the dots are the same grid that electronics is. So, you know, if you put, a, put okay. an IC on there, it will line up per perfectly with the dots. So if you want to sketch something in real size with some chips, the work app's going to fit together, you can. Then it's got a whole bunch of blank Eurorack panels. So this is the other thing. This The kind of process I go through when you're designing is do some research, sketch some ideas, try and sketch out maybe some ideas for a bit of a schematic or whatever it is. But then at the same time going, okay, if this is going to be 4HP, what would it have in it? And oh, maybe mm -hmm. if we go up to you know six, you can do something different. But it's always that process of kind of going back and forth between the the electronic design, maybe the kind of, you know, might be reading a book about something to find out what, what, you know, to just for more ideas. It might be reading, you know, a book about what some composer has done in the past or what a musician's done mm -hmm. um, or just, you know, listening to music or whatever. Um, so it's kind of bringing all those things together in one place. Um, and so, again, it was something I kind of wanted. So I made some more. And um, Steve was like, "Sure, yeah, I'll sell those. We can, we can, we can <laughs> put those out and give people like a thong discount code when they buy it and that kind of thing because it's it's like twelve yeah. pounds or something. So it's not a, not a big expensive thing, but quite. And then when I was showing it to people, they were like, "This is perfect because it is something I can ask for for Christmas that people will understand." <laughs> <laughs> You know, because saying, no, you know, can I have a can I have a wobble bug, please? It's not really gonna, gonna yeah, yeah, make much sense and be really expensive. <laughs> can I have a, a Turing machine expansion uh, module? Exactly, uh, that's not a, that's not a nice <laughs> present to be to be asking for. Whereas, here's a book. You know, Granny can understand what it is and can send the money to Steve, and he will send no one. <laughs> Right on, and I think it looks like it's like extremely useful for people who are into the DIY thing and, yeah. and building their own circuits. I think everything. so. I, I yeah. So. I hope. I, I I hope the. I think particularly it's that blank panels thing, you know, which you can you can you can always do, but getting it. I always find you know I will literally put down the components and the, you know, the knobs and the the sockets and stuff just to make sure. You can actually fit it all in. A lot of it is just that process of what can you fit in and then a lot of the process is just what can you what can you miss out you know what what are the things that because it's incredibly easy to go the other way it's incredibly easy to say i can add 
this feature and this feature and this feature and this feature. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the things you're using, you know, the chips will have like eight outputs. And if you only use four, you feel a bit silly. You know, feel like, you know, I'm doing this right, wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and when you get into microcontrol stuff, it's just terrible because you, you just, you can constantly think of things to do and there's constantly things you can do. Um, and the, the difficult bit is, I always find is going the other way. It's, it's saying, you know, something like the radio music, it really is what is the least you can possibly get away with. You know, what, what could you do that... <laughs> That isn't isn't so much that it's not useful, um, mm -hmm. but but is is one step above that. Um, you know, right. so this yeah, when you this, were talking about the feature creeping. Thing. Yeah, when it came out, this didn't have any kind of pitch control on it at all, and okay. a sampler with no pitch control seems kind of weird. But actually, for what I was wanting to use it for, it didn't need pitch control so so i didn't put it in uh -huh. <laughs> and then you know the firmware got updated and it now has a kind of option where you can do pitch control in it but i sort of feel like you know there's there's other different ways if you, you know if you really want to do melodic sampling that's definitely not the way to do it um right uh and i think and, I, and sometimes you you know, that's a good example of, of I've certainly thought a lot about what would a sort of Radio Music 2 be? What would what would it have? Um, and just haven't kind mm -hmm. of come up with an answer that would, that is something I really want to own or want to buy. So that's why it's stuck right. at that one. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the open source nature of your stuff. And just my first off was, um, do you, like, have you, I'm sure you've seen some people do some pretty crazy stuff with like maybe, you know, modifications yeah. or, you know, building upon the idea. Like, has, I imagine that's kind of rewarding being from somebody who, if you, if you want to put it out open source from the beginning, that's probably like the, the main goal I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, the, kind the, of your best, yeah, your best hope. Definitely. And, and, and that has, has definitely happened. So you've had, I've had people, um, writing new firmware for radio music. I've had people doing, you know, new panels and stuff for things and people building new expanders for Turing machine. Um, we just had a guy who's done a kind of miniature Turing machine, uh, which is called Alan from Alan Turing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's he's, really he's a friend of mine, yeah, Lenny. I've got that just behind me. I was playing with that. I think, I think I do probably prefer the interface of my one. Uh, but yeah. people want that and it's there. It's a really, you know, really cool that, that somebody can do that. Um, so, and, and just, you know, the, the, the other thing that you see much less immediately is just, you know, I very often meet people who will say, you know, I looked at your stuff, I looked at your schematics, I built it and now I am building this thing and now I am, you know, I've, I've sort of, that's inspired me to go on and do the next thing. So I think, you know that that wouldn't work in the same way if the designs were closed um right and i think you know it's been very for me it's been very positive and there, there have been occasions where people have done things that i've disagreed with um and on every occasion so far i have then you know spoken to them and said i would really much rather you didn't do this and they are often not 
not immediately agreeable, but after a while they come back and say, okay, <laughs> yeah, I can see that's, you know, fair enough. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, that's been, you know, it's been very positive for me, certainly. Um, I don't know that I can say everyone should do that, but it, it's definitely worked for me. It seems like, um, oh, I think we might have a delay. I can hear myself echoing. Uh, um, it seems like there's also kind of maybe a, a darker side to it. And I'm sure it's something you've talked about quite a bit. And I don't want to like pull you into controversy or anything. But I have to say, I've seen some people get pretty mean on, you know, chat forums and, and Facebook groups and stuff about, you know, with people who are either building, selling or buying clones. And I'm just wondering if you could give just your basic overall from from one of the one of the open source people of of the community. Like, where where do you stand on like the whole ethics morality thing on it? Because I've seen people literally tell other people they don't have a soul if they buy you know a clone of a yeah, mutable I think, instrument. I mean, I think it's it's um, where it's kind of annoyed me has been if. People are, um, if somebody's only contribution seems to be to try and get something cheaper than they can get from Thonk. So Thonk sells stuff, you want to mm-hmm. buy a kit, you can get it from them. If you, if you want to learn how to produce stuff yourself and make it yourself, then that's, that's all good. Um, if you want to make stuff and then sell it, that's good, you know. I actually had to, you know, we as Thonk have paid those people to make kits because sometimes we need, you know, ready-made ones and sometimes I don't want to spend all evening trying to solder the thing together, so <laughs> we, will, we will get those people. So this is a service I will certainly use sometimes. Um, you know, there have been times where people will just be like, right, I'm going to, you know, make a load of these boards and sell them like super, super cheap. Um that doesn't feel like it's adding a great deal. Um, and, and certainly one of the big kind of forums, you know, Facebook groups, I said, I would very much rather you did not do this with my stuff. Uh, and they do not do it with my stuff. And so that's fine. Um, yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the mutable stuff, I think um, Emily has been pretty clear many times about how she feels about it, which is she is not worried about it. Um, she was, she was, I think, very irritated at the start when you would get people um, selling badly made kits, and mm. then people popping up on her forums and saying this this module is shit because it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's obviously pretty unpleasant experience for anyone. Um, mm-hmm. I've never really had that at all. You know, that's not been a, a problem for me so you know I think at the moment you know we you know Thonk has a successful and growing business and is not I think fundamentally challenged by the idea that other people are are doing this and I think one of one of the things I, I do find really really sort of pleasing and seeing over the last couple of years you know I was definitely you know, concerned when that kind of mutable cloning stuff really kicked off and you looked at it and it just felt a little bit kind of queasy. Uh But the fact that has become 
a proper modification, adding features, smaller ones, bigger ones, different ones. That is exactly what open source is supposed to be about. And the amount of learning and insight and development and the, the community, the amount of skill in that community will mm. be remarkable for what we're doing. You know, there'll be many people in that community who will go on to, to design really interesting really clever things themselves and those those sorts of products are you know already beginning to come out so you know i yeah. think it, it is absolutely a positive thing and i think you know if if you imagine you took away the open source nature of that you know it's obviously much more i think with immutable stuff than with mine because it's much more technically advanced you know it's much more you know sophisticated designs than any of my designs um, if you took that out of the community, you would lose an enormous amount of, of learning and kind of positivity from the community. So I think, you know, it, it is a very powerful force for good, I think. Oh, well, that's nice to hear. Um, yeah, because I've, I've, I've kind of had some moral dilemmas on it because I didn't realize it was such a big deal kind of being a newbie, you know, a few years ago. And I'd make a post and then I would just like have people just swarm on me you know like that don't know me and just make me feel like oh am i a bad person so i've had a lot of back and forth on all yeah, this stuff i mean and the thing is it it is it is a it's you know the people say a lot of things on the internet you know it's like yeah you know, <laughs> if you're looking at things like behringer which you probably don't need to get into in too much detail but but <laughs> the level of of noise and chaos around Behringer is very high. There are some mm -hmm. really fundamentally kind of ethically wrong things that that company has done. But the level of kind of craziness and noise about it is 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 beyond that. You know, it's not, it's it's not a, it's not a it, it's it's not really something that I think we should be embarking on, you know, moral crusades about. We can definitely look <laughs> at it and go, that's not a good thing for a company to do. And I think actually their synth stuff is probably quite a way down in their list of crimes. You know, they're, the the one I always come back to is their, they have a cable tester that was designed mm. by a small American company that was a fantastic piece of design. They said, what is the the platonic ideal cable tester for somebody whose job is to test cables. And they created something that works beautifully and costs like $75 or something, which if you are a person who has to test cables for your job is I'm sure, you know, absolutely affordable and valuable. Mm -hmm. And they took that design absolutely practically pixel by pixel cloned it uh, mm -hmm. and sell it for like, $20 or something, $25. Um, and that that is absolutely morally wrong. And I have one right. of their cable testers. I didn't go and buy yeah. the £75 morally correct cable tester. I bought the <laughs> fake, you know, Behringer cable tester. So I have no kind of um, moral high ground to stand on. But I think, right. um, you know, I think that's definitely a very... You know that is a profoundly wrong business approach to take. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And, you know, you can say certainly the kind of Korg ARP stuff is, you know, on a fairly similar basis to that. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not, there's a lot of more important things in the world that go on, really. That's um, what I keep coming back to. I'm like, especially here in the, I mean, well, you guys have your own set of very similar things happening over in your country yeah um but it's like i mean like nazis are coming back let's not worry about yeah. clones right now you know kids are in cages separated from their families let's yeah not, exactly and, let's and not so, you know i don't know pick your battles yeah yeah i'd certainly <laughs> agree with that and i think you know you know and it is i spend my my day job thinking about um how you design products that people want uh, mm -hmm. and you know there are elements where they are designing products that people want that actually other companies could perfectly well do you know Korg could definitely produce a full size ARP Odyssey with a ARP logo on it and they could pay some money to whoever owns the ARP royalties and mm -hmm. they could produce maybe Behringer is slightly more efficient than their factory so it would be you know, whatever, $500 rather than $450, but that's not the difference here. You know, they, they decided right. to make a full-size one and charge $1,200 for it and make it in the U.S., which is a decision they've made. But when they produced their small one, lots and lots and lots of people immediately said, well, that's nice, but what I want is a, a proper grown-up one. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, and, <laughs> and they decided not to do that. Um, you know... Moog decided, Moog decided to make a reissue mini Moog that was exactly what people wanted that cost whatever, $3,000. It's about $3,000, mm -hmm. that one. And then um, discontinue it. If, I, I think what I think is really, really interesting is when you compare it with what Fender, particularly Fender and what Gibson do, where mm -hmm. if you want to buy a Stratocaster... You can buy a really good Stratocaster for $150 now. There will be, oh, really? be a Squire Stratocaster, but it will look exactly like a Stratocaster. Uh -huh. It will be a decent playable guitar. You can then mm -hmm. buy a slightly better Squire Stratocaster. There will be a really very good guitar for $350, £350 certainly. You can buy a Mexican... Fender Stratocaster that will possibly be a little bit better. That'll be maybe five, six hundred dollars. You can buy a Made in America Fender Stratocaster that will be a thousand dollars. That will be a little bit better. You can buy a custom shop whatever Stratocaster for, mm -hmm. for um, you know five thousand dollars. <laughs> All of these are produced by the company that created them. They have the entire mm -hmm. price range covered. They will come and clobber you if you make something that looks too much. Essentially, has the same headstock. You know, they will come and see you. Uh -huh. um, but they have obviously seen people in China or in Japan when they started doing it. They would say, "People in Japan are making these cheaper. We can either argue with them and try and sue them, or we can make them ourselves cheaper." And they make exactly what people want of fifty, sixty. 70-year-old instruments, yeah. <laughs> and if people want them, they will make them for them. It can't be very interesting to be a guitar designer in Fender. You know, it can't be a particularly gratifying <laughs> yeah. job. You're like, maybe blue this year. 
<laughs> you know, but, you know, to be honest, the organization's job is not to provide, you know, entirely to provide rewarding jobs for guitar designers. It's to, you know, produce products that people want. And if, mm-hmm. if, if Moog or Korg or, I mean, Roland's a really good example. Roland have an incredible heritage. They have absolutely 100% said, we are not going to give people what they want. There is no reason. (laughs) If if Roland was Fender, there would be a $5,000 custom shop 808 that looked exactly Uh like, you know, like um, it would be licensed by the Marvin Gaye estate and it would have the exact (laughs) tolerances modeled on the specific... 808 the recorded sexual healing uh, uh-huh. and would have a scratch in exactly the same place wherever it was and then there would be a full size 808 that looked exactly like an 808 that would be called boss which is their cheaper diffusion range and would cost uh-huh. 300 dollars uh, and they would all be analog they would all basically do the same thing but they would have different values different whatever it was that you know i haven't designed the whole mm-hmm. thing but but you would say to people, what is it that you want in your life? And they might say, oh, actually, I quite want a small digital one. You know, I have a, one of the little uh, TR08s up there. And it's really nice, mm-hmm. but it's definitely yeah. not an 808. It's not really, right, yeah. a, you know, the physical object. Um, so when Behringer comes along and says, we're going to make a physical 808 that's about the same size. I mean, to me, it looks really annoying. It's got kind of rubber buttons and all this kind of stuff. But, uh-huh. you know, it's a lot closer than anything Roland are making. Um, yeah. If Roland want to do that, they can, you know, they own the IP. They can, they can do it. They own the factories in China. They can, they can make that thing, but they've decided not to. Um, so, yeah. the, you know, how angry you can get has to be slightly limited, I think. Yeah, and I think also there's there's the positive side of of getting people into it who maybe couldn't afford yeah. it otherwise. Um and people like really if you don't want it don't buy it. That's yeah. that's kind of been my big thing on the whole thing, but we don't have to go into this. No, we're we're sorry. getting pretty deep in time. And uh do you want to um do you want to do one of the patch challenges? What's that? That's where I give you a wor- a random adjective and noun pairing. Then we hang up, I give you 15 minutes. You patch up something inspired by those words, and then we call back and just talk about it for a few minutes. And after we're totally done, you record like a three-minute performance of it, and I'll play it at the end of the show. If you're not set up to do that, though, I would no rather not do that. No, that's that's okay. Too, too complicated. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. There, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, kind um, of making stuff at the moment mode. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It looks like you got a lot of stuff going yeah. on back there. I have a whole table um, here of bits that is ready to go. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, so I guess um, my, I, we're, we're over an hour, so I'll, I'll, I'll get into the closing question sure. section. But um, last year, it, you didn't say it was your, um, your New Year's resolution. You didn't use those words, but you and Alex were talking about you know, going into the next year. You mentioned you were, uh, hope to finish things faster and set deadlines so for I yourself. So I have done have that. Have you done yes, that? Yes, I haven't been, okay, good. I haven't been 100% on deadlines. I've been trying to get Steve to set deadlines for me and i've then completely failed to meet some of those deadlines but this year (laughs) i i have um been much better and actually my my daughter my daughter's 14 and she gets up really early to go to school every morning so so every morning i get up at six o'clock 
and then I do basically seven till eight in the shed or sometimes in the house on the laptop if it's if it's cold <laughs> um, uh. <laughs> and uh, I've done that pretty solidly kind of most of the year um, and that's been really good that's been really kind of a good focus and it means in the evenings I'm not like oh I should do something but I haven't you know I haven't finished it off and I you know I'd rather just you know sit and watch tv with the family or whatever um, so that's worked really well. It has meant that I've then kind of had the freedom to just, you know, go down some rabbit holes. <laughs> so there are some yeah. things that I've kind of designed and, and, and made and, you know, completed or like done three three revisions of. And I'm just like, that's not that's not a thing yet. That's not not <laughs> not something. And I'm sort of slightly slightly bored of working on that now. So I'll work on something else. But there, yeah, there definitely have been things that I have been able to to um, start, get done, complete, ship. Um, so I think the book is the only one that's actually been shipped now. But certainly, uh-huh. I think uh, Superbooth next year, hopefully, there will be, you know, at least one, you know, quite substantial new, interesting. I have a new, interesting, weird module that I think um, some people will go, what on earth is that? That's just stupid. (laughs) 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 You know, it's a bit like a kind of wheel reinventing module. You're a bit like, they'll just go, but that is, why would anyone want that? That's really stupid. (laughs) Um, And other people will look at it and go, this is exactly what I've always wanted and it will, you know, <laughs> brings the whole thing to life. So um, we will see see whether that, whether people react like that. Um, but hopefully that should be, you know, that's kind of done and finished and is in kind of, um, you know, you have things like you, you want to order a particular part and they say, right, there's a 12-week lead time on this part. Yeah. So you're like, okay, well, that's... You know, that will be off, off, you know, waiting for that to happen. Um, but yeah, I have definitely been more, more productive. Not necessarily finishing everything, but there's definitely, you know, there's interesting things that I've designed. Like I'll show you one, one very weird thing that I designed is this. Okay. Which it's a little screen. It's a tiny little it does have a back on it, but it hasn't got the back on it. Uh-huh. It's basically a thing the size of a memory stick with a screen and with one little sort of rocker pot on it and a couple of buttons. Uh and a USB cable. And it's a it's essentially a MIDI sequencer that has um it also has an accelerometer in it, so you can move it around like that. Oh, so wow. if you look back on my Instagram, you can see the kind of earlier prototypes of it where it was like a bunch okay. of boards kind of soldered together. Um, and you can do things like you can set it up with a bunch of particles appear on the screen and you move them back and forth like that with accelerometer. Oh, wow. And it triggers off notes when it hits like a, a line in the middle or something. Or you can have like uh, six different MIDI notes mapped to that single pot 
that are all on different kind of you know modulos of that so they will all change together but at different speeds in different directions so it's like a kind of ma wow. macro knob so there's a lot of interesting things from it and it was quite interesting doing something that tiny and trying to make uh -huh, something yeah. work but i essentially did it got to a couple of kind of oh that doesn't work and i need to really sit down and try and debug that and you're like but what what's it actually for what's she going to want to do with it so that's that's on the kind of i will definitely come back to that one day and i've learned a yeah. lot along the way from doing that um but it's quite nice to be able to you know because i now have a kind of carved out piece of time you know you can spend i i did spend about 6 or 8 weeks in sort of february march studying how can you generate interesting rhythm patterns in binary with a very small amount of memory uh, like Euclidean patterns but kind of more of them and different and not just Euclidean patterns and then I was like I've really spent too long doing this I just need to move on to something else or just put in a bigger chip or something you know just so so but but no I've definitely this year been been much more uh, deliberate and don't have that feeling of like loads of you know I made a real mistake a few years ago at Superbooth where I announced a bunch of things that weren't quite ready to ship and mm -hmm. you just then you kind of have to do them and you maybe have lost interest in them yeah. and you just you know yeah that would be my hardest thing I think if because it, if, if it takes so long to work on something like you're so excited about this new idea and then after a while the work becomes a little bit you know heavier lifting and that's yeah. when it, i think it would be hard for me to keep going so i mean that's why i really do struggle with projects with software in them because yeah that's so much an issue with software and you have that constant kind of just doubt that maybe there is some some weird bug in there and you don't know how to fix it and then you send it out into the world and if there's something wrong in the code you're really you know it's very difficult you're trying to make people updated or whatever yeah. and it's just I, I i find that whole thing very you know risky whereas the the module i'll probably re release at super booth is completely analog and was the entire thing went from an idea to a working pcb prototype in like four four to six weeks you know and so oh, it was wow. a really okay. quick it's a very simple idea but it was a very quick mm -hmm. to like, okay, there's the idea. That's how it will work. Send it off, get it back. It works. One revision of, you know, fixing some bugs and a couple of sort of usability things. And then you're like, fine, that's, that's done. Um, right and, on. Well, and look forward it, to that. If it doesn't work, it's, it's got to be a bug, not a feature. You know, <laughs> there's nothing in the, yeah. <laughs> nothing that's going to blow up your case, but it, you know, there might be things that don't work quite the way I expected them to work, but that's, you know, that's hardware. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, sounds like you got a good 2020 lined up for you. And, uh, is there anything else you want to say while you, no, while no, you it's uh, been, been great, great to meet you and great to, to talk to you. Thank you so much, Tom. Tom Whitwell was a guest on PodMod, finally. That feels really good. Um, and if you listening, if you all out there listening haven't tried a Turing machine, you should try a Turing machine. 
it's an amazing module. Um, also, if you're a DIY or a builder out there, it sounds like his book might be a really useful resource. So yeah, please keep, uh, keep supporting Music Thing Modular because I am excited to see what comes out in the future from Tom. Um, all right, well, that's our episode. If, uh, if you want to stick around for a few more minutes, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're one of the depressed people of the world and, uh, don't want to, you know, and want to hear what I have to say about it, you can stick around. If not, then, uh, we'll chat with you next week. Um, but yeah, here we go. All right, here we go. Our little depression check-in. Um, I've been really depressed since mid-November. Uh, you all know that I, I deal with depression and I go in and out. Uh, it's very cyclical for me. Uh, but since mid-November, I've been feeling pretty awful. Um, I'm good at hiding it. Uh, and I'm sure many of you out there listening who have similar situations as me, as far as depression goes, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, a lot of times when people uh, commit suicide, you hear a lot, you know, their, their friends and family, uh, react in, in shock. Oh my gosh. They, I, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't see it. I thought they were so happy. And that's because I think a lot of us, this is the case for me anyway, is I don't want to make it somebody else's problem. And I don't want to uh, bring anybody else down with me. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm, complaining because on paper, my life is pretty good, but many of us know that that doesn't matter. What's going on in life often has very little to do with, (laughs) with your, with your depression, with your depression. Um, for instance, this one is particularly strange for me because for the first time in my life, I, uh, I am on paper pretty much living my dream. Uh, you know, unlimited income would be, would be nice. But other than that, everything else is pretty good. Um, cause money solves everybody's problems. Right. Um, but no, what I'm saying is like everything right now, I I'm, I've been out of the job that I hate for a few months. Uh, I'm teaching. I really love teaching. So I've got a, a, a good gig. It's, it's sporadic, but it's, it's enough to scrape by and the podcast is doing well. And, uh, there's a lot of people who listen and that's crazy and awesome to me. And in fact, the reason I am a podcast host, the reason I got into music and everything was probably based out of my depression and my desire to, uh, you know, seek approval and get praise and all that. And, and hoping, hoping that that would be the thing that would bring me out. I have learned over my career as a musician and as a podcaster that that's not at all how it works. Um, yeah, which is good. Cause I feel like I have a, actually a little bit more of a healthy relationship with, uh, with my artistic, artistic endeavors now. Um, also I'm married to my best friend and, I couldn't, I could never have imagined finding a more loving and supportive partner. So on paper, that's perfect. But yeah, I just, it's, it's, that's why it's so strange for me right now. Cause it, up until now in my life, I've had something to pin it on. Oh, my job or, um, the person I'm in love with isn't in love with me or, uh, you know, 
I can't, my band can't book this show. Whatever it is, there was always something that I could take, you know, these feelings, these, this, this darkness in me and just and compartmentalize it or put it in this, this cabinet with these things. And that, you know, it doesn't make it easier, but at least there's some reason to it. There is, there's some logic to it. And the thing that is just been really hard for me lately is having nothing to pin it on, uh, is, is it's just, it's a really, really, um, a really, really hard pill to swallow that this is just how your brain works. And no matter what happens, <laughs> you're, you're never going to fully escape it. And that sounds really, really dark. Um, it, it, it is, but I'm also in a Valley. So I kind of have the tendency to lean that way right now. One thing that I'm trying to keep in mind. And one of the reasons that I'm talking to you right now, this is also a little selfish. It's, 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 I'm hoping that I can jar something loose and kind of switch paths myself. I mean, hell I burned sage in my house today. Like that's some wooey shit, but I'm like, I'll try anything. Um, one thing I'm, I really, really want to remind everybody if you're feeling down like I am and remind myself is that you can't have peaks without valleys. That's cheesy to say it's a overwrought saying, but it's true. So I try, I'm trying to look at this pain that I'm feeling right now, uh, as a testament to how good I can feel. Um, and I'm really, really trying to keep in mind this, this simple fact. It's, it's kind of a hallmark platitude, but it's true is this too shall pass. Let that be a mantra for you because nothing lasts forever. And, uh, the first time somebody told me that when I was having a rough time, my thought was, fuck you. Like you say that, but that's not doing much for me. And unfortunately it, it doesn't do much for you until you are out of it and you've seen it, you know? Okay. That did pass. Oh, I made it. I made it through that. I feel great now. Maybe not great, but it's not so bad now. Things are good. And then that, that, that darkness can come back in because peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. Um, but that next time you go in there, you might be, you know, better prepared. Oh yeah. Well that did end. So I know that this is, this one's going to end. Um, hopefully sooner than later, I'm getting kind of tired of it, but, uh, yeah, I just, I kind of lost the train of my train of thought, but I, um, I wanted to just kind of outline to you what my depression feels like. What's what, what it's like to have my brain. Um, because I'm sure a lot of you are going to feel the same way. Uh, and also if, if you want to write to me and tell me, cause, cause honestly just getting it out feels really good. I am, I'm here, send me emails and I will not, I'm not going to give you the, the hallmark shit of keep your head up. I'm not going to give you advice. I, you know, I don't want to, this isn't, I'm not trying to, you know, be your, be a guru or anything right now. I'm just trying to be a comrade. So I'm open to that if you want to email me. But so this is what, it, this is what's going on with me lately. It's just constant doom and death. Uh, I'm, I just all day, my stream of consciousness is just fear of people. I love dying of me dying a horrible, painful death. Um, 
the whole world dying, you know, Australia and the whole thing in Iran is not helping. Um, it's just constant. And then the, the atmosphere that makes up the breathable air in my depressive world is hopelessness. And that's pretty, <laughs> that was pretty dramatic. Um, but that, that's the hardest thing for me. That's the hardest thing to overcome. And it's so strange because that's the thing that the logic can pinpoint and be like, you know, that's not true, but yet it's, it's like swimming up a waterfall. You know, the, the, the truth is at the top of the waterfall and I can see it and okay, I'll, I'll try to swim up this. And it just, it just keeps beating you back down, just pounding you back down into the rocks below. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. That's what it's like. And, uh, you know, doing the podcast helps, uh, doing demos helps do synthesizing helps. Um, mostly just to kind of put my mind somewhere else. But, uh, one thing I'm really good at is just bottling it all up and stuffing it down. No one, you know, I was talking with Hannah last night and she's like, I, I didn't know that it was this bad. And I was like, yeah, I, that's because I, I didn't let you know. Um, again, cause I don't, I don't want to be a burden. Um, but the truth is, is it's, you're not being a burden. Um, if you need help, it's, that's, that's the depression fooling you. Uh, something about depression wants to keep you there. It's, it's dark. Um, but yeah, your mental health is, is not a burden on anybody else. Um, and you, you, you got to find somebody to talk to. Even if it's yourself, even if it's, you know, writing something, there's, there's all sorts of ways to do it, but somehow expressing this and getting it out is so helpful. I, I'm, I actually feel better right now, uh, just doing this. Um, so I hope, I hope it's helpful for you. Um, seek, seek help in any way you can. Uh, if you, if you can get into therapy, that's great. Um, and you might be thinking that you can't afford it, but that's not true. You can, a lot of places have sliding scale. Um, a lot of therapists will do sliding scale stuff. So you kind of pay what you can afford. Um, there, there are hotlines, you know, just, just don't, don't just don't shut it down and, and, and try to try to go it alone. Uh, I don't really know what else to say other than if you're, if you're out there and you're feeling similarly to I, to how I am right now, uh, you're not alone. I hope it gets better for you. It will get better and then it'll get worse again and then it'll get better. And the the best thing that I think we can do is when it's better, try to collect as much data, <laughs> you know, that we can in retrospect and, and really, really identify what, what was, what was the depression, you know, saying then, and what was reality saying then, and, and try to bring that back into the fray when you go back in, you know, bring those notes back in this too shall pass. You're not alone until next week. <laughs>